1: The first major school choice bill of the session died in the Senate this week, but that's not the end of the conversation. Tonight, we take a look at what might be next in the debate over public dollars funding private education. I'm Melissa Davlin, Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, reporter Samantha Martinez takes a look at a proposal that would allow undocumented immigrants to get a restricted driver's license. Then Senator Ben Adams, Senator Janie ward Engelking, Senator Scott Herndon, and Representative Lance Cloud joined me to discuss education savings account proposals and what we might see after two bills failed to move forward this week. But first, the Senate passed a joint resolution on Monday asking voters to amend the Constitution to make it harder for citizens to get initiatives or referendums on the ballot. Supporters want to raise the requirement to get an initiative on the ballot to signatures from 6% of registered voters in all 35 legislative districts rather than the current requirement of 18 districts. The proposed constitutional amendment comes after the Idaho Supreme Court deemed unconstitutional, an identical bill that passed in 2021.
2: SGR 101 will give all voters in the state the ability to decide if they want Idaho to become another California or if, like most of us, they want to protect our state from big money special interest groups who buy their way onto ballots and then spend millions of dollars on advertising that deceives voters. Uh, the proposal before you today is just another in a long line of efforts to restrict or even eliminate the initiative and referendum process since its creation in 1912. Uh, what I like about this uh, resolution is that it would move us towards more of a grassroots uh, type situation where uh, the, every district, there would have to be people that were passionate about the initiative and there'd have to be signatures from each area, not just from a few. So. Thank you, I encourage you to vote for this resolution.
3: I don't think that the ballot initiative process has been running amok in our
1: state at all. In the last decade, there have been 20 attempts to get something on the ballot, only three have succeeded. Two of those made it to the vote and passed, Medicaid and the education bill. The one paid canvassing program that millions of dollars were sunk into was horse racing and it failed. The voters voted it down. The resolution passed in a 27-8 vote and heads to the House. If it gets two-thirds approval in that body, it will be on the 2024 general election ballot for voters to decide. On Wednesday, the House Education Committee held two bills concerning minors accessing adult material in public and school libraries. The first bill would have allowed civil penalties of up to $10,000 against a library if that library distributed obscene material to minors. Those testifying against the bill said librarians already steer children toward age-appropriate material and have collection policies in place. But bill supporters said those policies aren't enough and took exception to some explicit scenes in books found in young adult sections of some libraries. After lengthy testimony, the committee narrowly decided to hold that bill. A second bill would have required libraries to form collection policies, but the committee adjourned before taking up that proposal. According to Idaho Education News, after the committee rejected the first bill, longtime committee member Representative Judy Boyle left the room. The next day, she told Idaho Ed News that she was stepping down from the committee, citing the bill's failure as the main reason. Also this week, the House State Affairs Committee advanced a bill that would ban sexually explicit performances in public venues where children might be present. Those performances could still happen in private venues as long as organizers took reasonable steps to make sure minors aren't present. The bill sponsor said the law wouldn't just apply to drag performances, though a number of people from Idaho's LGBTQ community testified to say they were worried that even family friendly drag could be targeted under the language in the bill. The legislation must go before the full house before advancing. On Tuesday, the Senate Transportation Committee advanced a bill that would allow undocumented migrants to obtain a restricted driver's license. Our Samantha Martinez takes a closer look at the proposal and how it would affect some Idaho families.
3: About 37,000 undocumented immigrants live in Idaho, working in agriculture, hospitality, construction, and other industries. Many of them live in fear of being separated from their families if they are pulled over for a minor traffic violation.
4: I'm from here, Idaho. And I raised my children here in Idaho. And unfortunately it's been without their father because let me tell you a story. One day we had to take the kids to the pediatrician and he dropped us off. And then when he went back to go get us, we waited for hours for him to come, but he never came. What happened was he was on his way back and he got pulled over and stopped and he got removed from our lives.
3: Senator Jim Guthrie from McCammon is sponsoring a bill to provide licenses and driver's training for undocumented immigrants.
0: So what is Senate Bill 1081? It's an effort to change Idaho code found in chapter three, title 49 deals with the issuance of a restricted driver's license. This licensing option would be available to all persons, provided they meet other licensing criteria. For example, a restricted driver's license could be issued in lieu of a star card, a real ID, card or a conventional Class D license, and the option might be attractive to someone who wants to limit the amount of information they share. That said, the focal point of my remarks today will be the opportunity for licensure for someone who cannot establish lawful presence in the United States.
3: Senator Guthrie partnered with an organization called Poder that mobilizes and organizes the Latino and immigrant community for cultural and policy change. Their latest effort is the Manejando Sin Miedo campaign, which translates to driving without fear.
4: Comprehensive immigration reform hasn't happened in a while, hasn't happened since Reagan. Um, There currently isn't a lot of relief for us. The system's backed up. We need driver's licenses to get to and from work to go drop off our kids at school, to do normal things that you and I do every day. It is with great joy for me to announce that we have over 8,000 signatures that were gathered in the last two months in support of this bill. In The nine districts that y'all represent in this committee, we were able to collect over 2,400 signatures, with over half coming from Senator Trakel's district. In the end, we had signatures come to us from over 34 of 44 of Idaho's counties.
3: The bill is largely supported by agriculture businesses and organizations like Idaho's Dairymen Association.
5: We've been working with our delegation members in DC for over a decade as Idaho agriculture to try and find practical solutions for immigration reform in the country. That's something that we will continue to do, but to date, Congress has failed us and they've not found agreements on on an immigration policy that works for the state of Idaho or Idaho agriculture or any any other state in the country for that matter. Uh, This places additional burdens on the state and our communities. Uh, This restricted driver's license bill is targeted at at relieving some of those burdens by providing a pathway for somebody that's here without status to be able to get a driver's license and then subsequently obtain insurance. And as Senator Guthrie articulated, go through the same process you and I do to get a class D license. So we get the the book training and the road proficiency training and testing.
3: But many in the law enforcement community are skeptical.
2: Sheriffs in general do not feel that Issuing this uh, restricted driving uh, card to somebody that's broken, potentially broken I don't, or, uh, federal immigration laws is not a good good policy for, for sheriffs. This bill does not talk about what documents will be accepted by ITD. Um, the only thing I can rely on is what the current driver's manual accepts for documents. Um, and it has a whole list of things that most people applying for this will not have. So I'm not sure what, what ITD is gonna look at when they look at what documents it will accept.
3: Estefania Mandragon, Executive Director of Poder, says some opposition comes from individuals labeling undocumented immigrants as criminals.
4: For me, it, you know, you're you're talking about some of my family members. Uh, they're here contributing um, in, you know, in jobs that a lot of Idahoans do not want to take. So and so they are a support for Idaho um, and they do pay taxes in whatever way that, that they, they do it, whether it's sales tax or in, in a property tax, um, they're paying into the revenue in our state and are providing so much um, in terms of that. So if we're criminalizing people for living their lives, we may need to look at our laws and see what needs to change and change the systems that are backed up. right? Um, people say, why don't they just get citizenship? Well, uh, my mom wasn't documented for a lot, very long time. It took her from you know, when she came here in 88 to when I was in middle school um, for her to get uh, her, her permanent residency or what people call a green card. So the system is backlogged and with COVID it's even more backlogged.
3: The process of obtaining a restricted driver's license would look similar to getting a normal Class D driver's license, with a few differences
4: in the cost and appearance of the licenses. It would look different, so it's not gonna be like a regular uh, Idaho driver's license that's horizontally shaped, you know, it gives you all the information, still will give you all the information of where the person lives, um, you know, their um, height, eye color, all that. Um, The only difference is gonna be it's not gonna be horizontal, it's gonna be vertical, so like a driver's permit for underage drivers, and it's gonna say explicitly not for voting purposes and not for ID.
3: Baudet believes that the benefits outweigh the potential risk for undocumented immigrants' information being shared with law enforcement, but through appropriate channels, it can still be obtained.
4: The Office of Performance Evaluation uh, did a report, and what they said is there's less hit and runs, there's less uh, deadly accidents, and, um, and also it just increases public safety overall. So for us, we categorize that as a, as a common sense solution.
1: Ultimately, the Senate Transportation Committee narrowly voted to send that bill to the floor without recommendation, meaning the committee doesn't endorse the proposal but wants to allow further discussion on it. On Monday, the Senate voted down a high-profile education savings account bill that would have allowed students to access public funds for private school or homeschooling. And on Thursday, the House Education Committee declined to introduce another school choice bill that would have established a more modest education savings account program capped at 2,000 students per year. On the topic of school choice, Governor Brad Little announced Tuesday his plans to expand the Empowering Parents Grant Program and focus on parental involvement.
6: To
4: date, we've served tens of thousands of students with these grants. And today, I'm pleased to announce the formation of a Parent Advisory Council that will advise the State Board of Education on ways to implement, administer, and improve the Empowering Parents grant program. Coming out
5: of the pandemic, we were really concerned about the learning loss that occurred over the three years where we had disruption. And what this Empowering Parent allows us to do is really target interventions for students, based on the parents' knowledge of where their kid is struggling. And I think, you know, we're only in year one of this program, but I believe as we move forward, it'll continue to pay huge t- dividends for our state.
3: We've heard a lot about uh, choice. We've heard a lot about where our taxpayer dollars should go. And we've heard from legislators, we've heard from policymakers, we've heard from interest groups that are here in our state, we've heard from interest groups outside of the state. We've been missing a voice, a very powerful voice, and that is of our parents the people who are using the program. Um, Empowering parents having in its current condition and current form is is new-ish, but it builds off of a program that we started in 2020 as a state, our our Strong uh, Families, Strong Students uh, grant, and and that grew into this. And, And we've seen tremendous support and success, and we're
1: hearing increasingly from parents on other ways that we can support their choices. Joining us today to talk about future debates in education choice are Senator Scott Herndon, Representative Lance Clow, Senator Janie ward King, and Senator Ben Adams. Representative Clow, I want to start with you. We just heard from the governor and other education leaders talking about the empowering grant, uh, empowering parents grant program. How might future school choice proposals loop in that grant program?
6: Well, I can say that the. Education savings account that I call the Idaho Opportunity uh, Grant uh, does tie in a little bit because the Empowering Parents Grants does not allow the use of uh, tuition for those funds, and in the bill that I'm working on, I'm saying if they're applying for the Idaho Opportunity uh, Grants, they can use the money for tuition in that case. Uh, up, you know their $1,000 limits, so. THAT'S ABOUT THE ONLY TIE-IN THAT I HAVE ON THE BILL THAT I'VE SEEN. Uh, I HAVE uh, HEARD STORIES ABOUT AN EMPOWERING PARENTS grant's EXPANSION, BUT I DON'T HAVE THE DETAILS TO SHARE ON THAT.
0: AND you, if, I, IF I COULD please. JUST RESPOND TO THAT, WHEN WE PUT THE EMPOWERING PARENTS GRANT IN PLACE LAST YEAR, ONE OF THE THINGS WE WERE caref- VERY CAREFUL ABOUT, BECAUSE WE we it was federal money last year, but we knew going forward it would probably be general fund money. And we were very careful to make sure that private school tuition was not listed as one of the options because once you open that door, then you've also opened it to religious schools. And so that was a conscious effort for us not to do that last year. So I think there'd be a strong debate about that.
1: SINCE YOU BROUGHT UP RELIGIOUS SCHOOLS, uh, THIS IS SOMETHING THAT HAS COME UP IN VARIOUS DISCUSSIONS ABOUT SCHOOL CHOICE LEGISLATION USING PUBLIC DOLLARS FOR PRIVATE SCHOOL TUITION. Um, SENATOR HERNDON, HOW HAS THAT LANDSCAPE CHANGED FOR USING THOSE PUBLIC DOLLARS FOR RELIGIOUS SCHOOLS?
5: Well, the Supreme Court has weighed in on it, and so we know for a fact that if we send state money to private schools, then we cannot discriminate against religious schools as well. And the way I look at our Idaho constitutional requirement, when it talks about our mandate to participate basically in K through 12 education, there's 327,000 people, kids, in that K through 12 space eligible in Idaho. 300,000 of them participate in the current public school system, and I think our mandate is for all 327,000 as far as eligibility for our constitutional mandate and any programs we offer. So that would get into private schools, including religious schools, and even involve those who homeschool.
0: Except um, our constitution says public, common, free schools. It doesn't say, re- and in fact, it's very clear. Article Nine, Section Five is very clear that it does that we don't send any public funds to uh, secular or religious schools whatsoever. So. Um, it's problematic. We'd have to do some changing of the Constitution, I think, to do that, it, Once we or we open the door to private and we can't discriminate against religious. But I think our founding fathers were very clear they wanted us to fund public schools, K-12.
6: One, one thing on the way in is the AG's office somewhat disagrees because of the Supreme Court rulings on that question. And uh, so when we talk about uh, if we're going to move into that area, um, the. As uh, Senator Herndon explained, the Supreme Court has said, if we're going to do both uh, or one, we have to do both. That's and good. And yeah, I, un- I understand that if we start doing private schools, we can't exclude the religious schools. But I also uh, feel that when our Constitution was written, the first part of that was the importance of having an educated population. We want all everybody educated. And the difference was, in the beginning, uh, of our constitutional uh, statehood is that the only people that were getting educated officially were not in free common schools, they were uh, p- private schools. And so they just wanted to make sure everyone else had a choice. And then, they, and then along came the Blaine Amendments that, d- that uh, Senator Ward-Engelking is referencing that put a, a, a damper on being able to, to fund those schools. But back in the beginning, the, uh, free common schools were defined basically as eight-year-olds to 14. And, and yeah. I, think, I think we ought to pick up on
5: the goal, and we just talked about that briefly, is the intelligence of the people. So that's our goal. Mm-hmm. Our goal is performance of students. So anything that we do contemplate regarding educational choice is about improving the performance of Idaho students that's the goal so i think we all share that in common
1: senator adams i want to bring you into the conversation one of your concerns this week on the specific education savings account bill that appeared in front of the senate was that uh it included homeschooling families and that might open a door for government intrusion into homeschooling freedoms that um, families currently enjoy under the current system can you explain your concerns a little bit
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, you know, it was 40 years ago that it was illegal to, home. you know, we were having people arrested in this state for homeschooling their kids. Uh, and so uh, as a result of that, the legislature came in and made it very clear that the state was not going to be involved in private education in terms of what they're teaching and what they're allowed to do. Um, they weren't going to require uh, testing or reporting, things like that. And that's something that has blossomed into a uh, beautiful unregulated school system uh, inside Idaho. And uh, because of the, the history of it, there's a lot of hesitation from the homeschool community to ever open up any door that could lead to homeschoolers or private schools being, falling under those requirements of the state. And so almost any program, whether it's federal or state, if it falls under the Department of Education, uh, then there's there's probably going to be a lot of pushback there.
0: And and I th- I think that's true that there could be that because uh, when we send out public money, when we're using public funds, we're responsible to the taxpayers, and they expect accountability, and they want to they want to see accountability. We see it all the time in the public school system. The Uh, public charter and the public traditional schools we have we have to be accountable we have to do testing we have reports to fill in and so I think that when public funding taxpayer dollars is being used there has to be some kind of accountability
5: we we should say about accountability right now the reading science and math performance of Idaho students is in the 30 percentile range on a number of test measures. So when we talk about accountability, I think we're talking about the money getting to where we intend it to go. We're not talking about the money being attached to the actual results of student performance. Uh, Going back to the homeschool front, I MOVED to IDAHO BECAUSE OF IDAHO'S GREAT HOMESCHOOLING FREEDOM. I PERSONALLY THINK WE SHOULD PROBABLY INCLUDE THAT IN THE IDAHO CONSTITUTION, AND SO I'M ACTUALLY HAVING A CONSTITUTIONAL AMENDMENT DRAFTED TO MAKE SURE THAT'S PROTECTED FOR HOMESCHOOLING PARENTS. REGARDLESS OF WHAT HAPPENS WITH ANY OF THESE EDUCATIONAL CHOICE OPTIONS, I THINK WE'RE ALWAYS GOING TO HAVE TO BE ON GUARD ON BEHALF OF HOMESCHOOLING PARENTS TO MAKE SURE THAT THEY CONTINUE TO ENJOY FREEDOM IN THAT SPACE. AND I HAD MENTIONED ON THE SENATE FLOOR THIS WEEK THAT if our bill that we considered earlier this week had passed the Senate, I was not planning to participate in that program because frankly, I would leave the resources for families who actually need the resources. And I think that's our other intent too.
0: Well, and to be, to be honest, uh, homeschooling families can take advantage of um, you know of their traditional school activities, extracurricular. They can do music. They can come in and do testing if they want. We provide all that. They're they're allowed to use any of the curriculum that they want. So we provide quite a bit of freedom for homeschooling families to, to pick and choose, and and I think that's good, but. Um, When we start moving into private and religious schools, then it gets a little more complicated, I think.
6: On accountability, though, I think we need to point out that we're talking about programs, uh, these education savings account style programs, and saying that we need accountability. So in the bill that I was working on, uh, and I'm actually working on a slight different version this morning, but uh, it does have some accountability. It requires the schools to provide nationally normed Test to the parents, the parents must sign an affidavit that they've gotten it so the parents at least know. That doesn't go far enough for some. So uh, I'm most likely going to be changing that to say, and the parent must provide a copy. Uh, of their uh, of their test results. Uh, on the other Would side. Would that
1: also include homeschooling families?
6: Uh, I'm just almost there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, my, in the bill that I've been working on, I don't refer to homeschools. I didn't say this program does not include anybody in homeschooling. But what I say if you want this money and you can s- sign up for a personalized student education plan, which is a design plan. And in that, they must provide nationally normed tests and they must show us their test scores and they must show that they're at grade level or showing growth because they're using the state money.
1: And (laughs) Senator Adams, real quick, I I wanted to ask you, moving forward into the future, would you support any bill that includes homeschooling families in a school choice program?
2: Uh, Yes, actually. So I'm one of those uh, Republicans that's not convinced. I, I think the ESAs have worked really well in some states. But because we have the level of freedom that we have here in that, in that home school arena, the ESA uh, model um, is problematic. But I do think there are ways um, outside of that that we can fund school choice in the state of Idaho without, without the strings. What and would that look like? Um, it would probably look like a uh, refundable tax credit.
0: And. Just, you know, I think the elephant is in the room is that we've underfunded public education for years in Idaho, we've been 51st in the nation and our students have still uh, performed better than average, the national average, but we have, you know, almost a billion dollars in deferred maintenance in our school buildings and and we're 51st in the nation. I don't believe we have the funds right now to take on private schools and religious schools at this point. And now maybe down the road when we've, um, maybe when we're in the middle of the pack as far as funding per pupil, it might be a conversation that would be more relevant.
1: Senator Ward-Engle King, Democrats have mostly been opposed to ESA and similar programs for the specific reasons that you mentioned. This school choice or vouchers or ESAs or whatever you, you know you are focusing on, that's gaining popularity and co- gaining momentum, not just in Idaho, but around the nation, are there any proposals that would be palatable to your caucus?
0: Uh, yes, I I did support the Empowering Parent grant, and I think we're looking at putting $30 million towards that again this year, and that provides an avenue for um, parents to get devices and curriculum and tutoring and and lessons that they need and, and I'm okay with that. I'm also okay with the 529 plan. We provide um, $12,000 per year per student, uh, tax-free money if parents wanna put that in a savings account or grandparents or even employers can donate to that for their employees. So we have put quite a few things in place. There might be some other things that we can do.
6: I'd like to weigh in there because we do not provide $12,000 no. a year no. to people no. in 529 plans. The people heard that people can put $12,000 a year the and get some free. tax benefits from yeah. it.
0: Tax-free. Sorry, you're right. I Absolutely. Think,
6: I think we should just
5: weigh in that one of the reasons this motivating ESAs as a school choice option is because when I look at my eight children, they're all very different. And what we what we've designed in a lot of schools is a system that looks very similar and uniform for every type of kid. And so what we want to do is we want to provide options for those kids who do learn differently. And really everybody does learn differently. And so that's what we want to use to increase the success of our children is really respond to the vast differences between them.
0: And I agree with with Senator Herndon, that's exactly true and that's why we have open enrollment, that's why we have uh, charter schools and magnet schools and flexible schedules and apprenticeships and internships and career technical schools. We are trying to meet that need in a variety of ways for all of our parents
2: real quick on 529's uh, because one of the challenges with the 529's is the federal program right and so uh... just from the baseline that that kind of moves homeschoolers out of the arena um, i want i want all the students in idaho to have this opportunity right and so um, again there these will be discussions obviously that we'll have going forward but just wanted to put that out there
1: we have about a minute left with all of these varying factors plus all of the other opinions at the state house with 101 of your colleagues do you think we are going to have a compromise this session
5: i would say that's going to be challenging this session i think we all probably are interested in a strategic long-term goal of getting where we want to be i think it's probably going to take more than one session to get there
6: well, so yeah, I w- I'm hope- hopeful. Um, uh, I'm going to be reintroducing next week, and we'll see how that goes.
0: Well, and I, I would agree. I, I don't think we're quite there. I think we we need to listen to stakeholders and parents and and students even and see what we can do to move forward.
2: I anticipate seeing uh, s- multiple more more ver- multiple versions of school choice legislation this year. We might not get one that we have consensus on, but it moves that needle uh, to where next session we come in.
1: All right, well, thank you to all four of you for joining us for this great conversation. We'll be here for all of those introductions. Thank you for watching, we'll see you next week.